This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. This episode's going to be basketball heavy, and, and why wouldn't it be? They, they just pulled off a very impressive comeback win, beating Wisconsin on the road by eight when they trailed by 12 points at the half, 67 to 59. So we're going to talk kind of big picture in the second half, but little picture as well, uh, looking at what stood out to us about the game, kind of our takeaway. We've now talked to players and coaches a little bit about this layoff uh, that, you know, they, they were quarantined for two weeks and then got about five days of practice, five or six, depending on you know, how you count a pregame walkthrough. And then, uh, and then played played a really impressive game in terms of the uh, you know the comeback win, and then also just the pure game itself. So we'll talk about that, and then the second half of this episode, we'll talk about rescheduling, kind of the Big Ten title picture, and the big question: what what needs to happen for Michigan to emerge uh, in in our eyes as a true national title contender? They're number three in the country, so I guess we're talking about the next step if there is one. But Steve, first question, lots to take away from this game. You saw Hunter Dickinson kind of break out of, I don't know if it was a freshman wall, but, but that's the common phrase used. You saw Isaiah Livers kind of be the steadying force in the first half. Uh, the defense in the second half holding Wisconsin to 20 points, including one made three-pointer and seven for 28 shooting. Plenty, I mean, Franz Wagner, 10 second-half points. Uh, you could probably run down the list. Maybe not the same as Michigan's other Big Ten wins. They're now 9-1 and one in the league. Uh, this one is actually closer than, than all but the, the Penn State game back in December. But what was the most impressive part to you about Michigan's victory today? Lot, plenty of options to choose from. What stood out the most? It is tough because there are a lot. Like Because I kind of said, like I don't know if there was a – a better way that you would have wanted this game to play out. I mean, obviously you come out, you could blow them out of the water like they did the first time they met, but to kind of immediately face some adversity after this layoff and to answer the bell on the road. And the other thing too, Wisconsin really kind of needed a win here. Um, this wasn't just a matchup between two good teams. I mean, Wisconsin is ranked, but just to, to stay at the upper tier, of the conference and to stay in contention for the regular season title. I mean, this was kind of an important game for them. So you also had effectively eliminated their chance to win the big, right. Game. Right. Yeah. And so, and not to mention the revenge they had in my, you know, I think I saw the stat here a little bit ago. It's the first team to sweep Wisconsin in the big 10 in three years, which is a crazy stat. I think I saw before the game on CBS, I think they showed Wisconsin had won nine straight games. Yes, they did. Facing they did. someone that, the, that they the, lost to the first time. There you go. So a lot of like, uh, you know, interesting little tidbits that would lead you to believe that Michigan, you know, was not going to dig themselves out of the early hole. Yeah, I, again, it's, it's hard to pick one because there are so many. But to me, Isaiah Livers kind of puts the team on his shoulders as the captain, as the leader, and really just – you know, we had talked a little bit about a little earlier in the season about at least I had we talked about I know I'd mentioned, you know, that he looked to be he was still efficient and did stuff, but was still kind of forcing things a little bit offensively in certain spots. Uh, felt like he was in complete control today, um, hitting big shots, hitting consistent shots uh, and just. You know, I think there's something to be said about your leader playing having one of the better games I remember him having in a game where, you know, again, Michigan's in first place in the big 10. Uh, mm -hmm. This was a game that was a toss up. I think Vegas actually had it as a pick them, but you lose this game coming out of the gates. 
you never know if doubt starts to creep in or, you know, is this layoff really going to hurt them? Puts a lot of pressure on to beat Rutgers this week before taking on Ohio State next weekend. You know, and for Livers to answer the bell and just kind of come out and play the way he did on both ends of the floor, uh, just that's the kind of leadership that, you know, can take you a long ways in the big tournament. So I thought just a, a really impressive performance by him from top to bottom. And, and really it's almost, it was almost his, him keeping them afloat in the first half that allowed them uh, to come out in the second half, play a little more under control offensively, sustain the defensive uh, effort and defensive ability, you know, and, and come out with a, you know, to me, it was the biggest win of the year. So I, I did just because of the way that it played out. So I think he was the biggest catalyst for that. So I think that's probably my biggest takeaway. Yeah. Well, and it's, I, I think you and I are both in agreement that that the, the 12 point halftime deficit, just the way Wisconsin was shooting it. It didn't feel, it didn't feel like Michigan was getting schooled. It, it, it felt like there was going to be an opportunity to come back, but it could have been so much worse had Isaiah livers not kind of, and you could kind of see it on his face. And, and he talked about it after the game. He, he understood. He was like, I, I know we're going to struggle in the first half. And I, I knew I wanted to make sure that I was getting involved and getting engaged and, and kind of being the steadying force a little bit. And so he scored 13 of Michigan's 27 first half points. So the rest of the team scored 14 points on 21 shots. He scored 13 on 11, not even like an amazing half for him, but, but good enough to um, kind of keep, Michigan around keep Michigan in the ballpark uh, so that's that's a great one his third straight 20 point game I think we'll see a few games to go but I, I think every t- every year around this time seems like Michigan gets a, a senior or two who just really takes their game to the next level in 2018 it was Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman uh, in 20 well last last year I, I think you could argue Xavier Simpson had a little bit of a stretch uh, and then Derek Walton Jr. obviously had the really memorable one in 2017. So just a few recent examples. So yeah, I, I agree. That's a, that was a, that was an NBA level performance from Isaiah Livers and, and certainly a, you know, one that starts to put him in that first team, all big 10 discussion. I don't know if he'll have the stats to actually make that team. Uh, but if he keeps playing like this and scoring again, three straight 20 point games, maybe he does. The thing that was most impressive to me from an individual standpoint was, was Hunter Dickinson's rebounding. So Steve, I, I don't know if you'd seen this. You, I'm sure you saw Hunter Dickinson recorded 15 rebounds, but what's really significant is Nate Reavers and Micah Potter, uh, Wisconsin's two big men. They combined to play 40 minutes tonight. They did not record a single rebound. I don't know if I have ever heard of a team where that's, that's the entire center <laughs> position doesn't record a single rebound, let alone at Wisconsin. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, yeah. A team that team that I mean they don't they don't go for offensive rebounds very much. Wisconsin, that's not really their game. But defensively, they they really often clean up the boards. Um, you know, today Michigan got eleven offensive rebounds, and then it really just. Hunter Dickinson can't say enough. It, it, it seemed like he was like, he almost had like the magnet hands you see sometimes in like old video games where it's like, if he was like within four feet, he was getting the rebound and uh, certainly helps to be seven one. I, I think we'd all be better rebounders if we were over seven feet tall, but, but, you know, even compared to what he had done all season, uh, just really seemed like a, a man possessed while rebounding, which you don't see too often especially from freshman big men in the big 10. So uh, that, that really impressed me on an individual level. Obviously the, the defense really impressed me, honestly, the whole game. I know they gave up 39 points in the, in the first half, but that, that included five for seven, three point shooting. So kind of, and a couple shots that I felt like were really well guarded. And so for a team that, you know, that was one of my big questions heading into this game I actually did a story, big questions heading into this game, but uh, you know, with the physicality on defense and I think you saw it all the way through. I think the, the Sean D Brown rebound uh, when Brad Davison, everyone's favorite Wisconsin player was basically grabbing Brown's arm 
like nobody's business and, and Brown still out muscles gets the rebound. I felt like that was really an emblematic play where Wisconsin really needed that rebound and they were probably in position to get the rebound, but just sheer will to, to clean up on the defensive side of the ball. And a really long wingspan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had a few of those though. And that was, that was really impressive. And, and where, where his passing ability can be potentially valuable too is when he makes those rebounds. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And he knows he has, his awareness is at an advanced level. For You're talking his, about Dickinson, right? Yeah. His, okay. his awareness is at an advanced level for his age to where he's one of those guys that it feels like maybe not a full step ahead, but he's usually like at least half a step ahead to where when he rebounds it, he already kind of has an idea of where he's going to go with the ball. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, really seemed like he had a good sense of where everyone was on the court today. Yep, yep absolutely. So he, he was and, – and this comes – he was hitting a little bit of a – I mean, he hadn't scored in double digits, I think, since the last time Michigan played Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. And then, you know, his rebounding had quieted down. And then, yeah, the defense, uh, we, I mentioned Wisconsin hit five of its first seven three-pointers. They only hit one of their next 12. So – uh, and then in the paint as well, only eight points in the paint in the second half. So really, I mean, Michael Potter, Nate Reavers combined for 12 points, zero rebounds. You don't see that too often. And then, and then even the players who did score a lot, Aleem Ford, 13 points in the first, what, six minutes, eight minutes, whatever it was, only 15 points total. Uh, Demetric Trice, 16 points. I think this, I think Michigan's finally done facing Demetric Trice, he always seems to score big against Michigan, yep. but at the same time, four of 11 shooting, uh, three turnovers compared to three assists. So, you know, he, he scored points, but a lot of it was on those free throws, and it, it, it came – I mean, he had, to, he had to earn those 16 points. So really just a, a collective defensive performance that um, – you know, I, I don't know if it was their most impressive defensive performance just because there were, were 39 – first half points but at the same time and and, you know there were some mental mistakes on the inbounding passes and stuff like that but really hard to argue I mean they gave up 20 points in the final 20 minutes of the game you know it wasn't even an amazing offensive game and they won they had this epic comeback because of their defense just think about that so they had a 43 to 6 run against Wisconsin the first time they met them and then they outscore them they double them up in the second half on the road to sweep them. I mean, these are, again, I know Wisconsin, maybe not quite the top two or three team in the conference that they've kind of accustomed to, you know, or accustomed to be every year or whatever, but that's like, that's still impressive uh, no matter what, you know, to nobody really does that to Wisconsin and Michigan kind of did it again to them today. It's not obviously not quite a 43 to mm-hmm. six, but cons- again, consider the context. You don't double up Wisconsin in the second half on the road. Right, right. Let alone, that's just like, I think it kept getting, not not during the telecast, but it's just like people, like is, they were off for two weeks. No, they were off for like almost like closer to a month than they were cl- too closer to two weeks off. You know, and, and with all that in mind, you know, to, to yeah, kind of stick to it. Because like you said, it was, it was 39 points, but it was, yeah, it was a well-earned 39 by Wisconsin because, uh, you know, you didn't expect them to repeat that performance in the second half. But I also think, I think the question going into halftime was, okay, can Michigan get back though? You know, we assume Wisconsin's going to slow down, but can Michigan get back? Mm-hmm. And what I, what I loved about the way they got back, it was slow chipping away. It wasn't, you know, a big run. I, I almost think like doing it methodically and almost like in a, not patient, cause you want to score every time you go down, but like, just having the stamina, you know, mentally maybe to to keep chipping away at it. You know, you get it to within five a couple times, goes back down to seven or eight, you know, like to just kind of keep at it and then eventually take over in the last four or five minutes of the game. I mean, that's, again, that's leadership, that's buy-in, that's everybody knowing their role and executing their role. You know, like you talk about Eli Brooks, did not have a good game offensively, but once again was just, uh, so good on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, just, I mean, they, they're undefeated when he 
in conference at least when he plays, right? He didn't play in the Minnesota game that they lost. Right? Yeah, yeah, they haven't lost. And honestly, that kind of showed itself last year. You know, the couple games he was out, that was or, or injured with the broken nose. That was kind of when Michigan faltered a little bit. Yeah, he's uh, got to be the straw that he's got to be the ultimate like glue guy. On yeah, team. and that's a compliment. That's not a canned cliche. That's a that's a <laughs> that's a real. You know, it, it, it couldn't have been led the team in plus minus again today. Yeah, that's so. that's crazy. You know, and like <laughs> so the unsung, the ultimate he's one of the ultimate unsung heroes, because even when he still has a really good game, he's not usually the first or second guy mentioned, you know, but I think he's starting to get more and more noticed by even the casual fans as far as like, you know, when you're watching Michigan play the, the defense, uh, their defense at such a high level you know, he's really kind of the catalyst behind that. I think him and Wagner especially are the guys that really kind of, um, and I'll tell you what though, Dickinson defensively was amazing today too. Not just rebounding the basketball. I mean, he, he took Trice one-on-one and, and, and stopped him, you know, and one play where he got left out on an island, you know, they ran a little switch and and he got left out on an island on Trice and, and he kept up with him and played him. And um, then also obviously he had five blocks too, right. Which is his career high. So mm-hmm. You know, he was he really stepped up defensively too. So yeah, I just can't get over how they did this game, how they won this game. I thought it was uh, about as impressive as as you could have asked for, given given the circumstances. By the way, Eli Brooks does lead the Big Ten in plus minus, and he is eleven points better than anybody else in the conference. So he's eleven points better than Io Desunmu. He's twenty one points better than uh, Luca Garza. And Hunter Dickinson is next, and he's 25 points behind Brooks. So clearly something to be said there. And, and yeah, I agree. I think um, our next question is biggest takeaway from this pause and first game back. So we've now talked to, to the players both before this game, after the game, uh, heard from Jawan Howard twice as well, kind of been able to take this whole process and – thinking about the biggest takeaway there's there's a couple that come to mind but I think the big one is that um this team is just special on defense I mean they they just get it you know capital G capital I get it um they understand how to defend physically they understand when to not defend physically I mean it's just it's just an incredible balance they know when to when to limit a team's three-point opportunities. They know when to kind of pack the paint a little bit more. Um, and that's going to keep them in every single game they play this season. I, I, I think unless, unless there's a true three-point shooting barrage or an injury or just a, you know, a brutal officiating day, I really don't think Michigan's going to lose games in blowout fashion. Uh, could be wrong. But I've covered a couple teams that ranked, you know, really high defensively when, you know, Luke Yaklich was, was kind of the defensive coordinator, so to speak. And, and this, this one is, um, I think, is really special, even maybe not better than those defenses. I think each team did different things defensively really well. But um, this team can defend in so many ways. And that's, that's kind of where you were a little surprised. I'm usually pretty um, – I'm known to not necessarily be oversold on Michigan winning some games, but I actually picked Michigan to win today. And you, you were a little surprised. And the reason for me was I was like, well, at the very least Wisconsin's going to have to earn every point, you know, even if, even if the team, even if Michigan's rusty or, or playing sloppy basketball, you know, they, they, they still have that defense. And so that's, I don't know if that's my biggest takeaway, but that's what's standing out to me after this game and kind of digesting the, the quotes and the everything in the press conference, uh, both before this game and after this game is uh, Michigan's Michigan's defense is going to carry it a, a long way. It, it, at least in my opinion, uh, feels, feels like a special defense. And, and I, and I say that and kind of thinking it will help them hang banners for winning the big 10 title or the big 10 tournament or making a final four. Um, your, your biggest lasting thought kind of hearing from Jawan Howard and the players and, and digesting that both the 23 day layoff. Cause you mentioned 
Uh, people keep saying two weeks. The two weeks was the quarantine. They, I mean, 23 days is a lot closer to a month than two weeks. So your, your biggest takeaway from all this? Uh, Juwan Howard, under, like, I, you can't say enough about how much, to me, at least in my mind, that he has established himself as a hell of a coach. You know, I think with them signing the number one recruiting class, I think maybe people on the outside, you know, thought, have thought, even have thought, with even with Michigan's success, that, you know, great recruiter, all that. T- this is a guy who, like, is running this program at peak you know, for them, like I like, you know, I actually Brendan Quinn just tweeted out the exact the quote about because I was going to mention the them calling the next play for Smith after the elbow. That's just such a savvy move to make, I think, from a coaching standpoint, to put the ball right back in the guy's hands who just mm-hmm. endured this ridiculous cheap shot. I still can't believe that they called that a basketball move. I, I just, whatever, that may be another topic, but, um, and for him to go up, put it in and one, I mean, as weird as like, I, it really felt like the game completely changed after that play. And I think like, I think his experience as a former player, maybe, and just like mastering the push and pull of like, like the right sub patterns but like also like stuff like that Uh is like just it's that stuff that you I feel like there's an intangible value or there's there's something that like just some guys know how some guys have a feel some coaches have a feel for that type of stuff and have a feel for their team from top to bottom and it just the more you watch this team play the more you watch all these guys I've I've said a few times embrace their roles it just really feels like he just completely gets it and is, is really quickly establishing himself as an, as an upper tier head coach on the, on the national level, in my opinion. I mean, it's just really the next step now is yeah. For them to start winning a big, to, to win a big 10 title or to get to a final four. And I mean, you got to feel like if you're a Michigan fan that it's going to happen, at, it's going to happen at some point, as long as he's here. I mean, it just, it really is starting to kind of feel that way. And games like today and you like you said i think you had mentioned i think you tweeted about it or wrote about it already about the idea is like he almost had kind of said they they knew they would be down or that they you know yeah it almost seemed like i mean what so the quote was that he when michigan was down by 12 uh he came into the locker room clapping and was like we're right where we need to be we're right where we want to be uh this is this is going to be our second half and like like didn't even like have any corrections or notes or like, you know, sometimes when you're down by 12 on the road, you have to try to like drum up inspiration or motivation. He right. was just positive. He was like, yeah, that's, that's fine. It was only, it's only 12. And it's like, who, I don't, I don't know how Michigan fans were feeling, but as a, as a writer, I was kind of like, I, I felt like they had a chance to come back. I felt like there was going to be a pushback, but I thought 12 was too many points. Well, that's yeah. Yeah. And that's like, and think about that. No corrections, nothing. And this is a team that hadn't played in 23 days. And so that's why I, where I go to where I'm like, that's a coach who understands there's a mutual understanding between coaches, the coach, the co- assistant coaches, and the players in the locker room, right? Where you, Like when you're pushing the right buttons like that, uh, I, th- I just think it says a lot about just that intangible – like coaching ability, you know, and I think he's really shown it throughout the season and, and maybe more, maybe more so today than in any game. Cause yeah, you think about it, you're down by 12. You, the last thing you think you a coach is going to say is that you, you have them where you want them. And he isn't always like that either. I mean, there are some coaches who are just like very, that's like their style is positivity. Right. I, th- I think Jawan, I, I think pushing buttons, I think that's the best way to put it. And I think he knows, cause like there were times when they were up by double digits and he's like, storming the locker room or you know he's, he's getting in a heated argument on the sidelines with uh with Isaiah Livers for example and and I think he understands what the players need in the moment right um, and it's clear and I, isn't yeah, it I mean it's, yeah yeah so just can't say enough about that you know I think as if we haven't 
throughout this season talked about how excited Michigan fans should be for the, the outlook of this program going forward. They're not only bringing in like Uber talent now, but they also, I feel like have a coach who really is going to be one of the best coaches in the country uh, year in and year out. I just, there's just, they've won so many different games this year in so many different ways that it's hard not to just be impressed, you know, top to bottom. So I think mm-hmm. he's, I think, I don't think it's maybe been talked about enough uh, as far as like his actual fingerprints on the identity of this team, the culture that he's trying to create and, and just how the players have responded. So. And I think the game plan too. Yeah. I, you know, I think this is a team that comes in and they, what sometimes a player will like go off in the first few minutes. I feel like we've seen that a few, I think was it Pete Nance that did it uh, for Northwestern. And then obviously that win doesn't look as impressive at the time, but but, you know, sometimes another team will have their number the first five minutes, and then next thing you know, Michigan has the perfect game plan. Uh, and I feel like they've come in and they've looked like a better prepared, better coached team. Now, it's easy to say that when, when they also win all their games. But, yeah, just really, um, really impressive. I mean, I, I, I don't I, – the word elite probably gets tossed around too much, but, like, that's, that's what you're looking at right now is you were looking at an elite coaching season and even the little stuff. I, I don't know if you caught this Steve the other day, uh, but it made it into a couple of my stories. You know, the, the perpetual question, how do you keep a high level basketball team in shape when they're quarantined? Uh, they're limited to, uh, I mean, they can't even go into the facilities and, you know, Michigan, as opposed to like Florida or other s- schools, they can't even go outside because it's half a foot of snow and, um, you know, two degrees outside. It's the dead of winter. And so uh, what did Jawan Howard do? He got the entire Michigan basketball program, not just players and coaches, but like all the employees as well. I think he even got um, some family members involved too. They just had this ongoing group chat. Uh, and it was like really just, it was specifically designed for workout motivation and sending videos. And so he mentioned, uh, you know, Zeb Jackson, at 10 p.m. one night, he saw other people had some some cool videos, and so he decides to go for a run around campus in the dead of night. You know, <laughs> negative sub-zero temperatures. Uh, you know, and even like you know the sports information people are sending videos, and it just it's a really smart thing that I think it sounds like such an obvious idea, but not everybody thinks about it. And I think that's what's really impressive about Jawan Howard's. I think he he just seems like he's a step or two ahead and he understands. And I think he's really good at this partly because of his extensive playing experience. He understands when players need, you know, positivity, when they need, uh, you know, kind of a group effort. I mean, he didn't have to include the entire basketball program, but that, that that's what he felt like the team needed. And I think based on what the players mentioned and what, you know, Joanna said is it worked. It helped them stay in shape. It helped them, uh, kind of get excited about working out because I'm sure a lot of our listeners can sympathize th- with this. When the gyms closed, working out kind of sucked. I mean, you know, it's not every, you know, some people have the whole, the whole setup in their house, but some people had to get really creative. And so that's kind of the situation Michigan was in. And so, yeah, really just an elite coaching season. I, I like that takeaway. We're going to pause, take a quick break. Uh, we got a little big picture just now, but then we're also going to talk about what's ahead, looking at the rest of the Big Ten. Can anyone catch Michigan? The rescheduling, what should they do? And then even maybe looking at Michigan's national title chances. In just a moment, this is the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to 
other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back. Thanks for waiting. Let's get back to it. So, Steve, we just talked about pretty much our conversation hinted that Michigan is probably the, the team to beat in the Big Ten. We don't even need to discuss that uh, if they are. I mean, they are in first place. I, I want to say they're by the winning percentage. They have a, a game lead on Illinois, who is 10 and 3. Michigan is 9 and 1. But looking at the rest of the Big Ten, I see two teams that realistically uh, can contend for the big 10 title. I mean, Iowa, I think could technically re-enter the conversation, you know, Wisconsin, they, they play Iowa twice and Illinois seems unlikely at nine and six that they would, they would get back into things. Uh, maybe they could Iowa um, very little margin for error. They're at nine and five, but Ohio state at 11, four, 11 and four and Illinois at 10 and three in the last three weeks. I don't know how much you've watched from those teams, but they've both played extremely well. Michigan has a lead. How comfortable should Michigan be in first place in the Big Ten with a 9-1 record? Understanding they have to play Illinois still, presumably. I think that game will get rescheduled. Um, they play Ohio State next Sunday. A nice top five Michigan-Ohio State matchup. Yeah, big one. <laughs> uh, they, they play Iowa. You know, they play Rutgers still. They play Indiana twice. Those are all teams that are kind of in the top half of the Big Ten. So, how comfortable should Michigan and Michigan fans be with the Wolverines in first place in the Big Ten right now? Uh, I wouldn't say too comfortable, obviously. It's relatively close, right? And like you said, they haven't played, yeah, they haven't played any of those three teams yet. Well, so while they've been impressive in the games that they have won, you know, you could argue that they had not played the second, third, and fourth best teams. In the count, I think I think I don't even know if that's an argument. I think that's almost a fact at this point, right? So, uh, Ohio State, very impressive resume. I mean, they've beaten Illinois, they've beaten Iowa. Uh, I think if it wasn't for Purdue, they would like. I think they, yeah, I think Purdue swept them. Uh, they also won at Wisconsin. So, you know, Ohio State's been really impressive. Illinois just has the one-two combo. You know, that is the, the Sun, Moon, and uh, Coburn, difficult to stop. I know Adam Miller. I don't know how he's done. I know he looked good early in the season. I don't know if he's continued that. But, um, you know, Illinois obviously going to be a big factor. But, maybe I mean, maybe we'll know at this time next week, right? I mean, if, if Michigan beats Rutgers and can get past Ohio State, I think Michigan would be in pretty darn good position. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think they so, they'd be talking about when they clinch it, not if. Right. So point. I think it, I I think it is one of those questions where it it really may come down to Michigan and Ohio State. You know, what do you know? Uh, pretty crazy, pretty crazy to think of that though. It's it, that provided neither of the two teams slip up 
in their midweek matchups. I think Ohio State plays Penn State. Uh, you're looking at a top five matchup in Columbus, uh, Michigan, Ohio State. It'll be it'll be fascinating. So, yeah, comfortable, yes, <laughs> but not like you know, no time to. They're far from clinching, obviously. So, mm-hmm. yeah. By the way, can I can I pat myself on the back? For, I had Ohio State number two in the Big Ten entering the season, and I had Michigan and Ohio State ahead of Iowa in the standing, and I think ahead of Michigan State. I'll have to pull oh. it up. So pro- prophetic oh. as usual. Yeah. Um, you know, just really an elite mind hitting your stride here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I will but, say you did. You did say they'd win today, so I did. I did. I, I'll give you that as well. You know, I so was. There we cl- go. I was close. I said I thought Michigan would come out to a slow start, and I thought I just didn't know if they'd have enough to make the comeback, but um, right, but they did. So well, you know, celebrate all victories. Is, yeah, is no, you know, I mean, if victory. I'm right, everyone has to know. Uh, victory. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I'm with you. I, I I think. I mean, don't you know? You don't have to like be panicky about being nine and one in the Big Ten. I, but at the same time, you are going to have to. You probably have to beat one of the two, Ohio State or Illinois, to feel good about closing out as Big Ten champions. I mean, the rest of the schedule, we'll get into the rescheduling in just a second, but you know, it's not just having to play Illinois and Ohio State. Rutgers, not a slouch. They've won five of six. They're a quadrant one home game. Uh, you know, they're, they're a tournament team, probably in the five or six seed range, probably similar to Wisconsin. Uh, you know, Indiana, I don't know what to make of Indiana. <laughs> it seems like every time I'm like, oh, yeah, they're pretty good. They, they, they then, you know, almost lose to Northwestern the other day. Um, but Iowa, very fascinating matchup. I mean, kind of the uh, – I've, I've written about Hunter Dickinson and Luca Garza. So that, you know, Joe Wieskamp is, it can kind of match up with Franz Wagner. Seems like Iowa is starting to slip a little bit or teams are starting to figure Iowa out. but. You know, they're not going to be a slouch. And then Michigan State, they don't look very good at all. Same time, there's been talk of Michigan and Michigan State maybe playing twice in two or three days. That would be interesting. That's not nothing. That's not a, you know, you don't, you can't sleepwalk through those games either. So, yeah, there's really no gimmies the rest of the way, schedule-wise, um, unless they add Northwestern back into the, into the schedule. Uh, so that's, yeah, I, I don't think anyone is comfortable, but you have to feel good about Michigan's chances. You, know, you mentioned Illinois. I think I would take Michigan over Illinois right now. I mean, Coburn, he can have a really good game, and I'd assume we can have a really good game, but I, I don't know if they're going to have enough other players step up against the lineup for Michigan that, frankly, has, you know, Hunter Dickinson kind of outlined it today. Um, a lot of guys who are going to make a lot of money that aren't just him you know, playing, playing basketball. And so uh, kind of six, six threats for Michigan. Uh, if, if you want to throw Sean D Brown in there as well. So that'll be fascinating. Ohio state. I'm pretty high on them. Really thought they underrated transfer edition, justice suing from, I think he was playing at Cal, uh, you know, and then obviously, you know, guys like Dwayne Washington, EJ Liddell looking like an all Big Ten player at times this year. What's up with Seth Towns. Well, he was supposed to be like the top yeah, transfer well, in the country, just about. Well, that'd be a good question for our Ohio State writers. Yeah, no, yeah. I just want to no, I agree with you, though, because he was like, I mean, he committed on ESPN. I think he was like rated the number one transfer. He's He's talked about it. I mean, I think he understands that it's not the season he had hoped to have. I, I think he feels like it's going worse. Like, I don't think it's just switching to the big 10. You know, we've seen Mike Smith, his scoring is down a lot, switching from the Ivy league to the big 10, but um, still, I mean, they've got a lot of players, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's one of those things where, um, you know, if Seth Towns is your sixth or seventh best player, you've got a pretty darn good basketball team. So lots of competition for Michigan. I, I think, you know, on a, on a one to 10, how confident should Michigan be Michigan fans be, let's say, uh, that they can win the Big Ten title. I think they can be a, a eight at like being able to win. And then will they 
I'm kind of in that five or six mode where I, I think I think Michigan can can go in and I mean one they absolutely can potential wise but then two uh, I think they've got a very good shot I think they, and and what stands out to me every time there's like a how will Michigan handle this new challenge they seem to handle it better than the last time <laughs> you know it's like how will they handle a top ten team how will they handle playing three ranked teams in a row how will they handle a 23-day layoff. Uh, how will they handle a road game against a ranked team? Just seems like every step of the way, they just answer the answer the call. And so, you know, I, I've covered teams that came very close to winning Big Ten titles, and I don't know that that was necessarily the case. So anyway, part of it will depend on how they how they go about this rescheduling. I actually put together a story before the game. Uh, I think it was Friday, kind of just assessing each of the five postponed games Michigan had to postpone during this layoff and and kind of the factors that go into how they reschedule them, where they might reschedule them. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, Steve, but I don't think they're adding all five. I think that's unrealistic. I don't think – I think that would be – I think it's fair to the players. Yeah, it'd be really hypocritical – well, maybe not hypocritical. Maybe that's not the right word, but it'd be a very it'd be a departure from how the Big Ten seems to be handling all of this COVID stuff. I mean, they they preach and talk about like player safety's first, player safety's first. Eleven games in twenty two days is not that. That's talking out of a different side of your mouth. So, but I do think there is some value, especially if the Big Ten is going to end up being kind of close in trying to reschedule at least two, maybe even three or four. I actually outlined a, a schedule that where they could play four games. Uh, and and it it'd be ambitious, but it wouldn't be it would it wouldn't be unquestionably awful. Like it's it's possible. So Steve, I guess first, how do you feel about the the importance of rescheduling games just to keep Michigan kind of within one or two games played of, of their competitors. Uh, and then your priority or your, your perception of the priority for the games. I know the big 10 got to think Michigan, Illinois is the most important one to reschedule. Um, you know, and then Indiana, Michigan state are two teams that they haven't played yet. Maybe, maybe they can do a two games in three days. What are some of your thoughts on the, tricky act of rescheduling. I don't, I don't envy the big 10 people right now because there's not a ton of windows. Uh, same time, probably can't have Michigan go play 16 games while other teams are playing 20 in the same time period. So I agree with that, but I think the 11 and 22 is outrageous. Mm-hmm. Just about, um, I would argue that playing 11 games in 22 days would do more damage to Michigan the rest of Michigan season than the 23-day layoff did, or at least it would be capable. Yeah, yeah. certainly seems fair. I mean, unless unless Michigan just kind of does like the NBA deal and has like load management, which I True. think I think Michigan yeah. would do if they if they got stuck with that. Which again, I, it would require them having to play a game on Tuesday, and the fact that it's Sunday and they don't have a game scheduled for Tuesday right. uh, makes me think that they're not going to do it. Right. 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 But yeah, I think even, even if you add four games, that's still 10 games in 22 days. And I think it'd be nine games in 18 days. So it'd be a similarly sure. ambitious approach. Um, yeah. I think if I were Michigan, I would say, okay, you know, anyone who's tired or had a rough game the other day, you know, they're sitting out this one. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is a big yeah. deal. Yep, I agree. And but but definitely I don't know if Michigan players read tweets from fringe Illinois outlets, but you gotta imagine they're chomping at the bit to play that game, right? Michigan. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, mean Liver has even said that the other day. Um and then they also want to play the best teams. I mean, no one, you know, this, this ducking games thing, we're not yeah, going like, to spend yeah. too much time on it, but like no one came to Michigan, like you know, as, as a recruit and was like, I can't wait to go to Michigan and start out eight and one in the big 10, you know, win a few quadrant one games. And then 
avoid the best teams. You didn't, no one plays the game for that. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a cowardly fan thing. That's not a division one athlete thing. But that's what you're, but that's, you're seeing like insinuations that Michigan is ducking out or like things like that. The Dasunmu shot broke Michigan emotionally last year and they haven't recovered since. I don't know if you saw that tweet. I don't know what site that was from. I, not that, but I'm like, what's Michigan's record since? That's was like, what is this? It's <laughs> like a, was it a, was that like a, a satire, but it wasn't, it was just bizarre. So got to like Illinois games got to be a top priority. You know, I think just fans, I think we want to see Michigan play all three of Ohio state, Illinois, and Iowa at least once right now. Well, yeah. In terms of crowning a big 10 champion, you should have to play every team once. Right. Absolutely. So uh, there is that, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, there's gotta be some balance between, yes, I do not think (laughs) I would not feel comfortable if I was Juwan Howard or Michigan, if they were to be crowned big 10 champions playing four less games than feel a little awkward almost to to Mm -hmm. kind of take that title right i mean you're not going to say no if that's how it was to play out but at the same time it's it's not how i think they would have envisioned winning it and it's not the way they would have wanted to win it you know it's i don't think that's how they want it to play out so got to be some balance between yeah not running them ragged uh but also yeah forcing them to complete enough of a schedule to where if they are the team that's on top at the end, it, it feels like a legitimately earned uh, big 10 championship for sure. I mean, there's no yeah. doubt. It's not their fault that the three that they they've missed on three games, but it's gotta be made up in some capacity uh, to, to get some semblance of a full conference schedule. Like I said, if you're Michigan, my only concern is, is it at the, you know, expense of your roster being, you know, tired as hell by by the time the big tournament comes around so right so looking at like what's realistic uh the next play february 18th on thursday today's the 14th they play Rutgers at home and then they play ohio state on the road at this stage in the game i don't think there's anything they can do about this week i mean there is like a maybe there's a situation where they play Rutgers wednesday and thursday big ten's experimenting with the back-to-backs i it's controversial um back-to-backs i don't think have to be i mean college hockey does it uh you know they do it in the big 10 tournament they do it i mean they do it in the preseason early season tournament so it's not outrageous i you know it's it it toes a line i guess a little bit um to do it midweek something like that but i think this week has to say the same but then they don't play from sunday to saturday uh then they play indiana on the 27th and so that's where I think you can add one, maybe two games. Maybe you add Illinois. Um, I think Illinois has a free date on like the 25th where they could comfortably add a game. So that would make sense. Uh, and then maybe Indiana. Maybe when Michigan goes down to Indiana, they play the Hoosiers twice is a possibility. So, um, yeah, I agree. I think Illinois is top priority. And then I think Indiana and Michigan State. One, because they haven't played those teams yet. And then two, I think those are games that are important to the players. I think they're important to the fans, especially the Michigan state game. It's a protected rivalry, but, but Indiana too, I think if there's a capacity where they could play the Hoosiers twice, maybe it's over the course of three days, um, something like that while they're down there. Uh, I would, I feel like the players would be fine with it. I, I I'm, I'm a pot, I'm a reporter and podcaster. So <laughs> me saying I'm fine with it means nothing. But I, it doesn't raise any red flags uh, in my book. And then they have a little bit of a break. Saturday, the February 27th, they play Indiana. And then they don't play again until Thursday when they play Iowa on the 4th. So maybe that's a situation if they really wanted to get up to 19 games, you could add um, perhaps Northwestern or Penn State in that in that frame and Penn State maybe is the more important one because they also have games to make up I don't believe they're on track to play 20 Big Ten games this year either so my personal view in terms of legitimacy I think you know you mentioned for without it being awkward I think Michigan has to play every team once 
And then I think 18 is a, is a number that I would say, okay, obviously it's not 20, but that is still, it's an even number. You're still playing several teams twice and say Michigan goes 15 and three. I mean, it's easy to infer the game is 19 and 20, uh, probably decent chance they win, you know, it's depending on, depending on which games get rescheduled. So yeah, I think, I think 15, 16, that's, that's a little light. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, 17's kind of in the, in the middle. And then 18, 19, I think is doable. I don't think 20 is realistic. And, and frankly, 19 might be, depending on how the dominoes fall, I'm with you. It might, it might set Michigan up for failure. I mean, they might not, you know, players can get hurt. They can get tired. Um, I don't know. There's a reason that they have these mandatory off days with the NCAA anyways. And suddenly if you play 11 games in 22 days, you might only have one real practice during that stretch. So if Michigan had, I don't know, because this is something that it's not like Michigan wanted to postpone five games. They wanted to keep playing. Uh, So I think to me, 18 is fair. I think that should be what the Big Ten should shoot for. And then maybe a back-to-back with Michigan State. And then a game between the Ohio State and Indiana games, perhaps against Illinois. Um, I don't know if that makes sense verbally. When I write it out, it makes a lot of sense. So um, Anyway, next, next question, last one for us here. Uh, Michigan is the number three team in the country. I assume it will stay that way after today's win. You know, over on Ken Palm, there's still a big gap between Gonzaga and Baylor and Michigan and along with the rest of the country. How do you feel about Michigan in kind of their gap between Baylor and them? And what is the biggest thing keeping Michigan from joining Gonzaga and Baylor in terms of, I mean, I think everyone's circling those two as kind of the them versus the field national title favorites. What, what is separating Michigan from that group or from joining that group in your opinion? Um, as far as like making a run to a national title, I, I still think you want somebody else, somebody from the bench. Like, I think you need another, like I still look at a guy like Brandon Johns as somebody who mm-hmm. could really, really, really make a big difference. Only seven bench points team. today. Yeah. That the bench did not, play particularly well today. I thought Chandy Brown was very average. Um, Johns was in, made a couple mistakes. I think that's why he only played a handful of minutes. Uh, Davis was solid. Three of four from the field. I think he only committed one foul. I thought he played decent defense. Uh, he did exactly a what a second string center exactly. do in that like, situation. Yep. If you get that out of Austin Davis, I think you're happy with that. I don't think you're, you're disappointed, you know, cause he didn't play a ton of minutes anyway. So I still think, yeah, I, I just, I just still look at Brandon Johns as the guy that, that could really, if he can step up and they feel comfortable playing him for more minutes than they played him today um, and that he can produce, which I think he's fully capable of doing still. I was actually disappointed. You know, he had an open jumper from three today and he kind of passed it up. I, I was very surprised he didn't, take that shot. Um, but a guy that can hit from deep, but is also athletic enough to make plays off the dribble. But also he's, I think he's such a good rebounder too. You know, I think there's just a lot of ways that he can provide value for them off the bench. So I look at him as being really important. And then also, uh, getting consistent three point shooting from guys, not named livers. I think that's the other big, you know, can Mike Smith? Yeah, that's a good one. Can Mike Smith consistently hit outside shots? Can Brown, who the more we see Chandy play, much like Eli Brooks, almost like super valuable on the defensive end, great effort player. He seems very hot or cold from the outside. Mm-hmm. He's either on or he's off. And so, you know, I think more consistency from him on the perimeter. Uh, guys like Smith, Wagner, who I feel more comfortable about from from deep. Uh, but I, I think that's the other big thing. So those are got, for me personally, because I think you mentioned earlier, you know, that defensively you feel like their level of defense is good enough to where unless they 
yeah, unless they're officiating issues or an injury or, you know, if they do lay a complete egg offensively, they're not going to get blown out. Um, and if they are to get blown out, it will not, the defense will not be the reason for that. So I think with that in mind, I think, uh, the, yeah, the two things I look at getting more from Brandon Johns and more consistent from the perimeter from guys that aren't Isaiah livers. Yeah. That, that 3.1 is actually, that's one I hadn't thought of. Uh, livers was four for seven from three today. The rest of the team was three for 10. And so seven for 17 is, is quite good against a team like Wisconsin. I mean, you take that, but the rest of the team doesn't necessarily produce that on a night to night basis. I know Mike Smith, uh, it's technically a 48% three-point shooter. He's 17 for 35 this year, so averaging a make per game. But off and on, Shondi Brown, same deal. He's 38% this year, but there are definitely games where he misses three or four three-pointers. You know, Franz Wagner, Eli Brooks, guys who will have good games, uh, and then will also airball, you know, or, or just have really bad misses too. So uh, that's a good one. I like the bench one. I think, you know, there was a discussion on our message board the other day about Michigan's depth. And I was kind of of the stance, like, I don't think Michigan's as deep as, as people are thinking that they are. I mean, they, you know, they have really likable bench players like Austin Davis and, and Shawnee Brown and Brandon Johns and Terrence Williams. But if I mean, you think about the 2018 team, their bench was like Jordan Poole, Duncan Robinson, John Teske, um, you know, Jerron Simmons, who had a double digit game in the NCAA tournament. And I'm, I'm blank. And then Eli Brooks was another, and Ibby Watson were other bench guys. So it's kind of like, that's a pretty good bench team. You know, think about what Jordan Poole and Duncan Robinson and John Teske brought to that postseason. I don't think Michigan has that right now. And this is with Shondi Brown being one of the most um, enjoyable players to watch and then also interview. I think he's someone I've mentioned a few times. I think he'd be a fan favorite if there were fans in the stands. So, but I think they could use another guy. And I think Johns is, is definitely one of those guys that fits the bill. You know, him playing well means Michigan is probably winning the game by double digits, no matter who they're playing. The, the one difference I'm kind of looking at too, and I say this with recognition that, that, what Michigan's getting is already pretty good, but I think the point, the guard play, I think is one area that, you know, if they can elevate that a little bit, both Mike Smith and Eli Brooks, uh, I don't think anyone would say that they've performed poorly on the offensive side of things at all. Uh, you know, Mike Smith, I want to say he still leads the big 10 and assists per game. And then Eli Brooks, um, you know, really steadying hand, low turnover, well, I guess actually not that low of a turnover rate, but it seems like he's he's able to play really steady on offense and obviously can make some big shots. And it seemed like he set players up for success a little bit in the second half there. But um, when Michigan came back, you mentioned it was slow and methodical and that that's very satisfying and gritty to watch. But it, it did feel like that it was driven. Riven, I mean, you had Isaiah Livers as the primary ball handler a few times. You had Franz Wagner as the ball handler a couple times, and and that's great. I just don't know if that's a formula for success. If you think about the teams that do really well in the NCAA tournament, I think the number one factor is point guard play. It's, it seemed, I mean, think about Michigan's top runs. Their point guards were driving the bus. Now, that's kind of how John Beeline coaches his teams, but – you see that at other schools as well. If you have a if you have a point guard who can, even if they're not scoring, just take over games, then your your formula for the NCAA tournament is is pretty good. I think that's the one area. I think they need a a second or third team All Big Ten finish from Mike Smith. That would be, in addition to the areas you pointed out, that would be something I'm looking at. Is is how good can this point guard group? duo B because um, I think there's a lot to like about what they've done, but I do think there is room for improvement. And again, we're not talking about Michigan being a top. They're already a top five team. They've already made it really far. This is that win the national title discussion. 
Uh, anything else that stands out to you from today's game or any of the discussion points we had? Oh, I think we covered it pretty thoroughly. It's good to have the good to have it back. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, for sure. No kidding. It was, uh, I, and we appreciate. I know there's a lot of recruiting news, so a lot of our listeners were still were still really engaged. But I appreciate the the readers. I mean, you know, checking out our stories, staying engaged with the discussion, um, and following us along through it. I mean, it's you know, I I was. I ended up watching 13 Marvel movies during the break. So it kind of was, was racking my brain a little bit, going a little crazy, not being able to cover a game. So glad to have that back. Uh, Glad the listeners have been a part of this. If you like the podcast, throw us a rating, subscribe to it, share it with your friends. Let us know. Uh, Let us know what you like about this podcast. But for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Check out all of our stories over at the michiganinsider.com. Michigan.247sports.com. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.